Hi, I'm Isaac Milne. I've been uh, attending NBC for about three years now. So today we'll be in First Philippians uh, 27 through 30, if you'd like to turn there. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, happy Mother's Day. We're excited for all of you who uh, uh, have, uh, uh, for all the moms among us, for those who have uh, given birth to us. Uh, I wear this uh, pink shirt in honor of my mom. Uh, uh, Susan and I call it my Marita shirt because that was her name. And uh, she's gone on to be with the Lord in 2016. And so every year now, I just wear this pink shirt just in honor of her. And in part because I was the difficult child. I know you find that hard to believe. But uh, hey, wait a minute. Uh, But I was the difficult child. I was the one that that all the other kids learned on what not to do. Uh, Because they saw what happened to me and they decided, I'm not doing that, you know. Uh, Proverbs says, strike a fool and the wise will be instructed. Well, they were the wise. Uh, I'm not sure who I was. But, uh, and so uh, I praise God for her. She believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. And so she was a key instrumental person that God used in my life. Now, I know that for some of you, Mother's Day is a hard day, not an easy day. And so I want you to know that we pray for you uh, during this time. You may have lost a mom like mine uh, or or other things that went on. And so I just want to know that we pray for you as well because we know that not everybody had the same influence. And that's that's a key influence, a key influence. You know that 85% of our self-image is developed by age six. I mean, think about that one. Who has the most influence on your life between uh, one uh, or when you're born and six? Your parents, right? And you don't remember most of it. And so think about that. 85% of your self-image is developed by then, but it doesn't mean that it can't be changed, that your mind can't be changed, that your hope and your focus and everything about you can't be changed to grow because none of us had perfect parents, And so all of us needs more growth. So as we think about that today, I want us to look at the book of Philippians. So turn with me to the book of Philippians. And the focus of the uh, book of Philippians that I've I've chosen for this series, I'm going to do a four-week series on the book of Philippians. It won't be next week because we have uh, Student Recognition Sunday for our seniors, but uh, We're going to be doing four weeks in the book of Philippians. Well, you notice there's four chapters. So I'm going to take a chapter a week, which means it's going to be a little more of a flyover. It's going to be a little more of a bird's eye view than a worm's eye view. Now, most of the time, we love getting into the worm's eye view. We want the nitty-gritty details. We'll get some of that. 
But sometimes we get lost as, as a worm and you think about a worm being in the dirt and only seeing the next grain of dirt in front of it. You can't see the big picture and so you need a bird's eye or a drone's view or whatever to be able to see a little bit more clearly. And so that's what we're going to do through this series. And you notice that I chose this, the title and you go ahead and put that title slide up if you want. Uh, this idea of have this mind. Now wait a minute, you think. You've heard sermons on the book of Philippians and what's the key word for the book of Philippians? Joy, right? You know that joy is used or rejoice or some form of joy is used 15 times in the book and some form of the word think is used 16 times. So you go, wait a minute. Now words, the number of times a word is used doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean something but you need to consider that because it means that that's an important word there. And as I was wrestling through it the last few weeks, this idea of what's the focus of Philippians and where's the direction going, I kept going back to that phrase in chapter 2, in verse 5, have this mind. Have this mind, which was in Christ Jesus. I mean, have the mind of Christ. Have this mind. It's an invitation for us. He's not saying, okay, now that you came to Christ, you already have this mind, or God's going to build this mind into you, which he kind of talks about in verse, chapter 1, verse 6. But he's inviting us to participate, to have this mind. And in chapter 2, you see that mind is a mind of humility. But you take that word mind or that idea of thinking and you go back into the, right into the very end of the first chapter. And he says, that uh, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. You kind of go, oh, wow, this idea of mind is even in chapter one, it's not just a chapter two thing. And so then you think, is it used anywhere else in this chapter? And you, you back up a little bit more and you say, it talks about this, these people who are thinking uh, wrongly. Uh, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Latter doing it, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. So their thinking is to afflict Paul. What is Paul's thinking? You back up a little bit further and in verse 7 of chapter 1. It says, is it only right for me to feel this way about you all? Some versions translate it to think this way about you all. The word can be translated either way. So that there, the idea of thinking is there too. And you begin to realize, wow, this idea of thinking and, and how we think is, is all through the first and second chapter. And then I begin to look, is it in the third chapter as well? Absolutely. After he says uh, in verse 4, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. So he's talking about that one aspect of thinking. In verse 15, he goes on and says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. In other words, you may be thinking the wrong way. And this morning as we're looking at that book, this book and as we think about it, we realize, wow, I may be thinking otherwise in some things. Jesus, I mean, or God says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So if, if we want our thoughts and our ways to become more like his ways, it means that a change needs to occur and we resist change. We really do. 
It's one of the reasons we don't grow in Christ is because we resist change. We like the way we are, or we don't like it, but we're, you know, we're comfortable in our own skin. We're comfortable with our dysfunction, so we just go ahead and live dysfunctionally. In verse 19, it says, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. Their minds set on earthly things, this idea of a mindset. And in fact, that, I, that idea of set is also in chapter 1. It's only right for me to set my thinking this way. It, it's carried in that, that idea. And so then you begin to wonder, well, is it in, it's in chapter 3 and it's in chapter 2 and what is it in chapter 4? Absolutely. One of our favorite passages, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, wow. This word, this idea of mind and thinking ties together some of our most favorite passages out of this book. Chapter, verse 8 of chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Have this mind about these things. Have this mind and I, and I begin to wonder, as I, as I look through this, it, it ties together this idea of I, in chapter 4, I have this mindset that God provides for me, that God, I can't do it on my own, that I need to rely on him. I rely on him for strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I rely on him for provision, and my God will supply your every need. I mean, you think about that, and you realize this idea of thinking and this mind and this invitation to have a different mind. Is something that we are challenged to do in the book of Philippians. And yet we think of it as joy. And I think one of the reasons that we think of it as joy is because the Philippians had changed their thinking. They had changed their minds. Their thinking was a partnership in the gospel. One of the words that you'll see repeated a lot in chapter 1 and primarily in chapter 1 is this idea of gospel. The idea of gospel and, and, uh, is, is used about eight different times in this chapter. In verse 5, it says, because of your partnership in the gospel. In verse 4, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So defending the gospel, participating in the gospel, advance of the gospel, verse 12. And then, then he uses it kind of in a negative sense in verses 15 and following where he says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And so he's still talking about preaching the gospel, preaching Christ. He uses that, those two phrases interchangeably here. He says that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And then he says, Christ is proclaimed in this I rejoice. So many times we become judgmental about those who are proclaiming the gospel for the wrong motives. We see them on TV. We see them other places. And we go, oh, I can't believe that they're, they're, I mean, they're just all about themselves. They're just trying to get money. And then how would Paul respond? How would, how would he write the Philippians? Man, Christ is proclaimed. And yeah, they got selfish motives. But I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to judge the messenger. I'm going to proclaim and, and be excited and rejoice that, that the gospel is being proclaimed. You think, wow, that's what a perspective. That's different than our perspective. And then it comes to our passage, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. You think, wow, that's a tall order. 
That sounds impossible. Absolutely it's. Unless you use chapter 4 along with it, which is rely on Jesus. That's how you're going to be able to do chapter 1. Let your life be worthy of the gospel. And then he says, striving together with one mind, side by side, for the faith of the gospel. And you think faith of the gospel, does that mean, what does that mean? He's talking about the faith that the gospel requires of us, that that's the response of faith, because he talks about that. He says, not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So this idea of believing on Christ. And so we got to, it raises this question, if I'm going to have a mindset of the gospel, if I'm going to have a mindset of gospel living, let your life, manner of life be worthy of the gospel, then I need to understand what the gospel is, right? That's going to be a key understanding for me. So I want to go through it real quickly. This idea of gospel is the idea of good news. It's that Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 died for my sins and rose from the grave. And so this idea of sins... Sin causes a separation. And so go ahead and put that slide up that has uh, people on one side and God on the other side. Sin causes a separation between us and God. That's what Isaiah 59, 2 says. For your iniquities have caused a separation between you and your God. It's very clear. Paul, I mean, uh, Isaiah is very clear on the gospel. It's amazing when you go and, and look at it. It's very, very evangelical, uh, Isaiah was. And so this idea that we are separated from God, our world doesn't like that concept because sin sounds very judgmental. Really, sin is just describing us. It's describing that we fall short of God's holiness, his perfection. There's no way we can reach him on our own. And, and because of, of us offending him, of us sinning against him, then there's nothing that we can do to bridge the gap. I mean, think about it. If I offend you, if I hurt you, it's in your court now. It's, not, it's no longer in my court. I can bring you all the flowers, all the chocolates, all the whatever that, that I want to, but it's up to you to forgive me. All of a sudden, it's not in my court. So, and in fact, flowers and other things seem to fall on deaf ears at those moments when you're offended because of me. So you look at this idea and it's the same way with God. We've offended a holy God. And it's up to him to forgive us, not up to us to work our way and kind of gain some sort of salvation. Can't do it. It's not possible. It's not possible in relationships. We're thinking economically. We're thinking, okay, if I do this number of things, and that's a religious idea. That's not a relational idea. In relationships, when you've offended someone, it's, it's, it's on them to forgive. So we can do all the works that we want to do, all the righteous things we want to do. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So it's not my righteous works. I can't earn my way. Isaiah 64, 6 says, even if you could, your, your righteous works are like filthy rags. And he says it's stronger in the original. So you look at that and you think, so I try to build this bridge across and it comes up short. And sin leads to death. And there's a great verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. I'm glad it doesn't stop there. <laughs> we earn something with our sin and what we earn is death. Death meaning in scripture generally means separation. So we earn separation from God, what Isaiah said. So how do we resolve this? I love the second part of Romans chapter 6. It says, but the free gift of God, free gift 
of God. Those words are emblazoned in my mind. When I, when I read those for the first time as a college student in my first year of college, I, I, that was just mind-boggling because I was raised in a tradition where, where you try to be good in order to gain heaven, and it's like he's saying, no, it's a free gift. Why do you, why, you can't earn a free gift. It's free. What are you doing to earn? Nothing. Free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we get eternal life simply by believing on Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through, through me. We struggle with the exclusivity of that. There's not many ways to God. Jesus is the way. Amen? He is the way. He's the only one that satisfies all the character of God. Because you think about God as holy and righteous and just, and he can't just say, oh, no big deal, because he has to be just, so he can't just blow it off. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be somebody who pays the penalty that I've incurred because of my sin. But he's also loving and compassionate and merciful. So how is all the character of God resolved? It's resolved in Jesus. His justice was fully meted, his righteousness fully lived out, and his love and compassion and mercy in the person of Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, we get all of the, all of the blessings of God. We get his forgiveness. We get, we get be called, be called his children. We see his love and his compassion, and we get God's riches at Christ's expense, his grace. That's it a message that Jesus believed in so much that he was willing to die for it. I mean, think about that. It wasn't just something small or light or trivial. He believed that that, that was true and, that was, and, and he wanted it to pass away from him, that penalty of being on the cross. He said, not my will. Yours be done. And God's will was done. The gospel was taken care of. Jesus Christ died in our place, for our sins. And all we have to do is believe, but it's like any gift. He's not going to force it upon us. He offers it to us and we need to respond. I can tell you there's great joy when you become a partner in the gospel. When you give your life sacrificially for what he gave his life for. You don't earn the gospel by giving your life. You're a partner in the gospel. You're saying, Jesus, what you said, I believe. And I'm going to live my life that way. It changes our thinking. I mean, think about how we think normally. What we think normally is, is uh, all these different plans and goals in life. Our plans and goals in life, we think about, okay, what's my wealth accrual goal? And we think about our 401ks, which aren't looking so great right now, but hang on, be patient. <laughs> God's in charge of that too. Remember chapter four, God's the provider. Stock market is not the provider. The Dow's not the provider. God's the provider. We got to remember that, right? Amen. God is the provider, is, has always been. And so we look to him. But we got to change our thinking because if that's wealth accrual, okay, I have plans for that. That's great. Uh, retirement goals, okay, that's great. Uh, advancement goals in your company, that's fine. Where are your goals for the gospel? You got all these goals. You've, I mean, you've mapped them out. I mean, you've got numbers everywhere, right? What's your goal for the gospel in your life? 
for, for doing this, your manner of life being worthy of the gospel. That's a mind-changing set that we have to have. A mindset that we need. It's not just for me. He's not just saying, okay, pastor, okay, you do this, and then all the other people, they're going to watch. You know, you set yourself on fire, they're going to watch you burn. I mean, it's just kind of, it's not, it's not just me that's supposed to be excited and on fire for him. It's all of us. Partnership in the gospel. We think about Paul and, and we think, oh man, he was sold out to the gospel. And then we think, no, he's, he's saying, you know what, Philippians, you're my partners in the gospel. You're sold out for it too. And that gives me great joy. In fact, that's why he's saying in everything of, in prayer of mine with, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Because you're committed to it too. I know this last week had a couple of events that gone on, big events. Uh, community outreach. Uh, we as a church uh, didn't meet here on Sunday morning so that we could go out and meet together in the community and love on our community. And whether we see in our particular situation a person, you know, excited that we're there or responding to the gospel, you never know what God's doing. God doesn't always show us what he's doing. He doesn't always show us his hand. I guarantee you that God was honored through your service and sacrifice. And that somehow, even if it's just angelic beings like in the book of Job, it was only a, a demon, in fact, Satan himself. It was a purpose of Job's struggle in life and all the things that he went through. We don't know if it's for some angelic situation or if it's for somebody here. We serve with all our heart, partnering in the gospel together, reaching out beyond ourselves. A National Day of Prayer, we had kind of a new idea. National Day of Prayer on Thursday, we typically every year would meet around the flagpole at City Hall and pray, and some of us would do that, and then, then we would go to, uh, 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 to uh, um, the Performing Arts Center and have um, uh, some sort of service, hour-long, different pastors and people praying for an hour. And it was a, pretty much a church event. Just believers would show up for those things. And people would drive down the street and look at the people playing. Oh, there's, there's the faithful. There's those religious dudes, right? Dudettes. You know, there they are uh, out there doing their thing. And so we said, you know, we can do better than this. Let's make this a community event. Let's love in our community in prayer. And so instead of meeting around a flagpole, we met at Walmart and Market Street. And we just prayed for whoever happened to show up. At Walmart, they got a little closer to the door, front door, and they had about 20 people an hour come through. At Market Street, of course, our church, we, we got the time where it rained a little bit, so people were just kind of running in and out and weren't stopping for prayer. Not as many, at least. We had about just an estimate of about 160 people that were prayed for from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock from just randomly showing up. And then in the evening, we decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to do it different there too. We're going we're gonna to gather at the hospitals. Not just one place, but two places. That's, that's a challenge, by the way, to try to pull off two events simultaneously at two different locations. And before that, we'd had maybe at our best, we had about 200 or so. 
I bet we had 300 at our hospital or more and the same at the other hospital. Had over 600 people. We also did videos that showed up on all the patient screens. So it was, it was done earlier so that they could have a better hearing. We had two of the school choirs at each location that was a plan to be there. We had Facebook and Instagram and Zoom. And, and so we have no idea how many people were reached. Loved on by believers in the community. My heart was full. On, on Thursday night, I had a hard time going to sleep thinking about what God had done this week. As we partner with him in the gospel, not just the holy huddle, but we're reaching beyond ourselves. And that takes a different mindset. It takes a mindset that we're, that we're not just about us. It's not just about me feeling good after I get done with the worship. And, you know, and, and man, I was worshiping this morning, just like, you know, some of y'all and just, I mean, just, you know, my heart out there. You get to certain words and you, can't, you get choked up and can't even say them. And you think, wow, what a neat service, right? Well, I, I want other people to experience Jesus like I experience him. And so it means that we've got to have a different mindset, a, a gospel mindset, a mindset that I'm going to partner with the gospel. I'm going to advance the gospel. I'm going to preach Christ. He's going to be proclaimed. And I'm going to live a life worthy of the gospel, striving for the faith of the gospel. I want to be involved in that. Talk about a meaningful life. Talk about a life that, that goes beyond just the, the norm. It's going to be a different kind of lifestyle, a different kind of mindset. Well, he goes on to say, only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospels. That, that phrase, manner of life, literally means act as citizens. Act as citizens. He talks about that in chapter 3, where he says uh, in chapter 3 and verse uh, uh, 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. So act as citizens of heaven. What does that mean? Well, I mean, just think about it. As an American... We act as citizens. What does that mean to act as citizens? Man, that means that I'm for freedom. I'm for democracy. I'm for uh, the freedoms that we possess. We have people dying for those freedoms in our men and women in service, uh, uh, services. And when we think about that in, in, in the Army, Navy, military, uh, Marines, uh, uh, I know I'm going to be leaving some out, right? But Air Force, you think, wow. We have people that are, what are they giving their lives for? They're an American. We sing about that. We sing different things that, 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 that swell our hearts as being Americans. We're proud to let people know that we are. So what does that mean if I'm a Christian? And that name has fallen on hard times recently, but what does that mean? It means that I become, along with you, Learners and how to follow Jesus. That we're learning together how to follow Christ. Learning together how to walk with him. Learning what it means to, to reflect the gospel in our lives. That Jesus died for. That my life will reflect that. Just like my life as an American reflects those who gave their lives for me. And I want to honor that by how I live. And how I live my life. I want to honor my Lord, 
who died for my eternity and our eternity. If I'm a teacher, I conduct my life as a life of learning. If I'm a doctor, I conduct my life toward health. If I'm a musician, then I reflect sound and great quality of sound. So as a Christian, I need to reflect Christ. It means that I got to go through a mind change. In fact, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 talks about that. Romans 12, 2 says that don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Which means that my mind's got to change and my heart's got to change and then what comes out has to change. Typically what happens to us is we learn about God and then it goes to teaching about God and it doesn't travel through our heart first. And it's real easy to do that, by the way. We've seen great people of faith, people that we would, would consider heroes of the faith who we think they're walking with the Lord and it's like they have brilliant minds and they understand all things, so many things. And then it just comes out their mind, their mouth, but their life is, is not reflective of that. God wants heart change as well, not just mind. But it starts with how we think. How am I thinking about my life? If I'm a person who doesn't like people, for instance, I'm going to move away from people. If I'm a person who understands what Christ is saying here about the gospel, the gospel means I move toward people. I move toward getting to know them so that I can share Christ with them so that they can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So there's got to be a mind change. When I get together with people because I'm uncomfortable, I talk about something that's safe and talk about sports or life or hobbies or whatever. But if I'm going to have a gospel mindset, that means I need to include Jesus in the conversation somewhere. And it's not just the easy, safe things that I'm talking about Jesus and his desire that we come to know him. It's kind of like we're God's immigration department. <laughs> trying to encourage people to immigrate to this, as a citizens of heaven. Well, you go and, and, and think about that mind change and, and, and you think about, okay, how is this going to happen? It's bigger than I can do. I can't make it happen. No, you can't. And so that's why he starts out in verse six. So now you go back to verse six and he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then he says, it's right for me to think this way about you. So how is that mindset going to change? It's, it's, if you see the context, it's because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now, and I am sure of this. I'm sure of what? I'm sure that the, your partnership in the gospel is the beginning. Your partnership in the gospel is when you first received Christ as your Savior, that you responded to that gospel presentation that I presented up there on the screen. You've believed on Jesus, that you put your faith in him. You began. That was the beginning. That was your new birth. And if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do that. Take that step. Receive the free gift that he has offered. That that good work 
And then your participation in the gospel as a recipient of grace, but also as someone who's beginning to convey it to others, advancing the gospel, he's going to bring it to completion till the day of Christ. He's working. He's bringing it to completion, it says. It's not, I'm starting the, the good work. God started it in me. So have this mind. Have this mind that you're going to live a gospel-centered life. That's the challenge for us today. He's talking about a gospel-centered life here, a humble life in chapter 2, a life that pursues God, chapter 3, knowing him, and a chapter 4, a, a life that, re, that relies on God. All four of those things are things that we need to grow in. We need to change our mind about and not be self-resilient, but God-resilient or, or relying on him. And so you come to this chapter and you realize that in tying it together, I think verse 21 ties this passage together in the gospel. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ. We usually hear the other part at funerals, right? Die is gain. And we hear this passage and we usually think of it. No, look at that first part, that first phrase. For to me, to live is Christ. Could you say that about yourself? Can we say that about ourselves? For me to live is Christ. I think sometimes we can, sometimes we don't. And I think that we need to make that a focus of our lives. My life is not to be focused on everything else to the exclusion of Christ. Yeah, there's other focuses in life. Being a good parent, that's a good focus to have. But in Christ, how is Christ being brought into my home? It's good to be advanced at work. But how is Christ, my faith in Christ, being brought at work? And yeah, some companies have a lot of restrictions about what you can do and not do. I get it very well. I was a teacher for two years in the Arlington ISD. You can't just come out and say some things. But you build those relationships because your mind is changed and your focus is, I'm going to do whatever it takes to promote the gospel of Christ, even if it's uncomfortable for me. I'm going to Tanzania in a few weeks, June 10th. You can pray for me. And one thing you could pray for is my attitude about sleeping in a tent. <laughs> I'm really not looking forward to that part of the thing, you know? It's the one thing that caused me to go, Lord, I, I'm not so sure about this. You really want me to go on this trip? Because, I mean, I love to preach to pastors. I love to communicate truth to them and help these guys that don't have all the advantages that I've been given. I have seminaries. Some of them are struggling to read. And I'm just thinking, you know, I have all these resources online and everywhere else. They don't have the internet. I, I don't even know. I'll get a phone signal and some places will be. And I think, you really want me there. And, and you really want me to sleep on a, an air mattress. Then my, and my air mattress doesn't fail. I mean, it doesn't matter if you give me the best air mattress. This is going to go flat before the night's over, right? And then I won't be able to take showers in the morning or, you know, that kind of thing for, you know, each week. And, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, this is not going to be fun. But then what constrains me? What drives me? Is, Lord, I want to be a partner in the gospel. Because you believed it enough, Jesus, to die for me. I should be willing to do anything. I don't have to hang on a cross. I just have to sleep on an air mattress. Probably a flat one. <laughs> wow. 
And it changes my attitude and my heart and my focus. I want a life that lives as a citizen of heaven that is gospel-focused and gospel-centered, that Jesus believed in the gospel so much and he loved us so much that he was willing to come from his heavenly glory and come to earth and become a human and be around people who were sinful and treated him wrongly and called him bad names all of his life growing up, calling him someone that, that was uh, uh, just, I mean, just horrible thing. And he did it because he loved us. I love my Lord. So Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I will do. Right? That's living a life of the gospel. And sleeping in a tent is a small thing. There are people all over the world that are doing and reflecting a lot more difficult things. My encouragement, my joy this last week I couldn't sleep on Thursday was because we were participating in the gospel together. We're participating in the gospel when I'm in Tanzania together. As you're praying for me, as some of you have given to that trip, we are participating in the gospel together. I want to encourage you because there is great joy in this book. There's great joy in participation together. May we have one mind. May we be a body who are simply those who are learning to follow Jesus together. And as we do, we allow God to change our thinking, to change our thoughts, to be more like his thoughts. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your incredible love for us. You died for a very unlikely group of people. All the people on this planet as we look at that and we think, wow, Lord, I don't even understand why you would love us so much. You could just do away with us and create a better people. But you love us. And you sent Jesus to die for us. The gospel was no small thing. It was a big thing. It was a big deal. If there was another way, you would have done it. If there was an easier way, you would have done it. So, Lord, we look to you. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who, who are here today who may not have put their faith and trust in Christ, who are online, who may not have put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation. Lord, I pray that they would so that this would be true about them, that he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Lord, I pray that they would believe on Jesus and receive him as their Savior, receive your free gift so that they would have life. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just see the gospel as some message, but it becomes our very life, our very soul, our very blood that, that, that courses through our veins. Lord, I pray that we would live lives worthy of the gospel that we can never do on our own, but we can do through you, doing all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, use us. Touch our world through us. May that day when we are no longer here on this planet, may this planet be different because we passed this way, because we were a people who simply lived the gospel, who simply learned to follow Jesus and to live for him. Change our minds, Father. Change our hearts. We, I know we fight against you on that. Lord, change us. And may we be willing recipients 
May we have this mind. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.